start for this. It's me, Alexis Barber. I am so, so, so excited for today's episode with our guest, Jodi Taylor. I discovered Jodi when she made a video about sort of like all the little things she does to look really amazing because one, she looks literally incredible. But I stayed around because she offers some really incredible advice and is sort of saying the things that no one else is saying out loud. What I really like about her content is like that it is not only things that you can take and do to improve your own life, but that she's literally so smart. Jodi and I actually both went to Northwestern and we both worked at Google. So that's my girl right there. I'm literally obsessed with that. And she gave us career advice, such as how to manage up when you're in a corporate role, how to know when it's time to leave a job. She gives you a great framework for how to figure this out, what to look for in a job when you are looking around trying to figure out what's right for you, and her experiences with how she managed jumping from working at Google to a startup to her new role and what these things look like for her. She is a career coach, gave us some amazing advice from them. We also jump into dating and what's that. That's like she was has this crazy dating story that I'm so excited for you guys to hear and tells us about how she's recovered from breakups and her tips for being single in the city. We also jump into a little bit more on mindset and how to make sure that you are investing in yourself so that the best possible things can be coming back to you. I loved this conversation and I felt so happy and joyous when I was talking to Jody and I think that you all are going to really love this. And if you like this episode, please make sure to follow Jody on TikTok and Instagram. They'll be linked down below. And make sure you're following the show as well. Don't forget that every week we are giving away a too cozy robe. So make sure you've entered your email in the giveaway down below so that you can be entered to win that. And with that being said, let's jump into the episode with Jody Taylor. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to I'm be so here. I'm so excited. You're my you. little twin, I which know, is amazing. Which is so much fun. I'm oh so excited. Gosh. So I like to start with some rapid fire questions. Okay. The first is, what is your big three in astrology, if you know? Oh, of course I know. I'm okay, a good. big astro girl. Good, I'm good. curious what your sign is, too. Oh, oh I, I want to see if I can guess, guess by yeah. the end. Okay, okay, I'm a Scorpio Leo. No, Scorpio Libra. Scorpio. Okay. But I love Leos. You love Leos? And okay. you're giving me... Is it? Are you going to say Leo? No, you're not a Leo. Okay, no, Because you would have told me already that you're oh, a you're Leo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're giving, like, are you Virgo? No. I get that a lot, You though. give Virgo energy. I get a lot of Virgo. Yeah, but people, I'm actually a Sagittarius. Oh, interesting. Sag stellium. I have four planets in Sag. Oh. And then um, Leo, Moon, Aries rising. Okay. So all fire. Like, oh, interesting. I have, but I have Saturn in my first house, so that's why I'm so Okay, you really yeah. are into this. You said uh, Saturn. Well, in the I first learned. Time. I learned about it because of the election of 2020. Because I wanted to like control, and so then I learned about it all. Then now I don't look at it too much anymore because yeah. I was getting too obsessed. into it. Yeah, yeah same, exactly. same, yeah. Same. I was like, I can't let this run my life. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay, but I do yeah. like Leos initially, and you mm. give Leo like energy vibe as well. Oh, thank you. So I, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. crazy. Next, what is your hometown, and where do you live now? I'm originally from a small town, Randolph, Massachusetts. Oh. Extremely homogenous. Mm-hmm. Like, I was the only black girl. Um, there were some, like, black folks in Massachusetts, but it's uh, mostly Caribbean folks. My family's from Jamaica. Okay. So very immersed in, like, Caribbean culture, but also in a very, that bubble was in a larger, like, white bubble. That was an interesting upbringing, and I think, like, mm-hmm. undergirded a lot of my current ideologies and beliefs. But mm-hmm. currently, I live in Brooklyn, New York, which yeah. is, like... Incredible. We live. How long have you lived here? Ten years. Oh my god! So you're a, I'm a New Yorker. Yorker. Yeah, I will never claim Massachusetts. Like I <laughs> love where I came from, but Massachusetts is not my kind of city. Not this. Yeah, one. yeah. I'm officially a New Yorker. Oh my god! Congratulations! You've got your card now. I, know. I love that for you. So that's I think where I first started seeing your content was about hot girls in New York City, you know? And I think that that's, like, what the girls are excited to hear. Yes. yes. you got to keep me posted on what the hot girls are doing. Because oh I'm, like, working again, and I'm, like, I'm not tapped in. Oh, my God. It's I crazy. I feel like there's too much to be done now. I'm overwhelmed. I yeah. know. New York is just, like, the coolest city ever. I really – so coming from Massachusetts, I knew I wanted to live in New York because mm-hmm. it's just, like – I did a summer internship here, and I saw – black people, black women, they were in beauty and they were in fashion and they were in banking. And it was just ignited something in me where I saw these young people, young people of color, young women who are making money and like living in these mm. fabulous apartments. And I just like lived for it. So New York is very like energizing for me. It's incredibly yeah. inspiring. So I That's love New good. York. I don't know if I would go somewhere else, but I, I, mm. I live for New York. 
I think that's the right way to describe it. And yeah. I think it can get overwhelming it sometimes. Mm -hmm. But then I'm realizing, like, all you want is that back. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. You visit, yeah. like, any other city and you're like, eh, it doesn't quite hit the same. Like, it, it just ain't hit. hit. They don't hit. And don't I'm, like, hit. thinking, like, oh, where will I, like, raise kids or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And then I'm like, I just don't know if I can. will be able to yes. leave. Exactly. But then it's like, also, how do you afford to raise kids oh, in the city? Oh, it's a good question. Yeah. 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 Well, ponder. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is something about your personality that makes you feel really smart? Um, I love the fact that I'm incredibly intellectually curious. Like, I love the fact that, like, if you were to go through my TikTok, my, like, who I follow, it's everything from, like, quantum mechanics yeah. to, like, um, nihilism, philosophy, and then, like, also, like, dermatologists and beauty and plastic surgery and all of these things all of those things are like also formative to my identity in terms of like I love learning I love being passionate about things I love podcasts I love books I love reading like all of those things are really important to me yeah. so what makes me feel smart is not necessarily always being the smartest person in the room or having the most information or like technical skills or it's like really just being curious and like asking questions and like wanting to learn yeah that's something that I really cherish about myself yeah. I love that and I yeah. think it's also a skill you can learn too where yeah. it's like it happens naturally but then you start to lean into it yeah. and I think that can really help in any career yeah so. absolutely in yeah. career in interpersonal relationships like having that like curiosity and just like asking the why behind things mm kind of like opens up so many doors and passions and hobbies that I'm just like very, very grateful that I'm naturally intellectually curious. Good. I love that. I love that. Okay, what's something about you that's kind of superficial in a good way? We're all material uh, In a good here, way. Okay, know? I agree. I'm yeah. like a big material yeah. girl too. Like mm -hmm. I'm a material girl, but <laughs> honestly, I... I feel like I've fully integrated every part of myself where had you asked me this question five years ago, I would have been like, oh, the fact that I like watch Real Housewives mm. or the fact that I have like X, Y, Z. Now I live for it. Like yes. I don't think I don't co codify anything in my life as like superficial. I'm like, this helps me rest. This helps Same. me rejuvenate. Like I really integrate and love everything that I do. I like how I think about things. I like how I spend my free time. So yeah. I don't codify it as superficial, but I can understand how other people could see like the fact that I love Real Housewives. Yeah. And I get my lashes done and I get Botox mm -hmm. and I like, you know, whatever else people may find as like superficial or vain. I love that. And I think that the integration is a word I haven't like found for it yet. Oh. And so that actually helps me like think about yeah. it better because I think the super, we're reclaiming superficial yes, out yes, here because, yes, like, it's, absolutely, being a woman is so hard. So, yeah. however you want to yes. like do it, like that's how you should yes. be doing it, absolutely. you know. And so, I love that. I'm a Real Housewives stan. What's your favorite franchise? Oh, I think Potomac. I I used to love Atlanta, but Atlanta's getting kind I of can't like do Atlanta weird. right now. It's so annoying. Ever since they lost like Kenya, Portia, like the girl. Mm. Or no, Kenya's still on it, but like Nini, yeah. Portia, like the girls. the girls. I think Portia might be my favorite housewife of all time. She's amazing. Well, I think she's a lot of people's like she did so much with her career from yes. housewives it's crazy and that's the kind of girl that i like mm -hmm. like i love a girl who flips a bag into another bag like that i just yes. like love her vibe love her energy so she's one of my favorites but i would say potomac is probably my yeah. favorite karen huger actually might be my favorite housewife. I love Karen. I love Karen. Yeah. That is what I vision for myself in a couple mm -hmm. of decades. Like and that. I like that they are, she's actually rich because a lot of these girls are not, are not rich, which is inspiring because I'm yeah. like, okay, maybe we can be on Real Housewives know, and get a bag. I know. Right? I like think about that sometimes. I'm like, is there any career I really want? It's like really just to be a housewife. Yeah, like, same. I, I don't know. Career. I've been working mm -hmm. for at this point 10, 15, 10, 11 years. Yeah. And Working is amazing, but I think also in the pandemic, I very quickly realized, like, work is, like, a bullet point in my life, but it is not, like, aspirational for me anymore. And I used to be a career girly. Yeah, and yeah. I want to hear about that, yeah. too, because... No, I know. We'll go into these later, honestly. Yeah. This always happens. You when did you go to... When did you graduate from Northwestern? 2013. 2013. Oh, my God. When did you graduate? 2020. So, oh, my God. <laughs> I know, right? Wait, what was... Well, okay, that, that experience must have been very crazy, because you graduated crazy. in the pandemic. Yeah. But it I'm really lucky, at least it was the end. Yes. So I only lost senior spring. Okay, sucked, great. Yeah, 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 that was it. it. So it was crazy. But yeah. Oh my god. So you went to North I love a I love a wildcat. Oh I love my a, god. Why did we go to Northwestern? And for me it was so random. It was it was kind of random, but okay. it was really just because I'm from St. Louis. Oh, so it was close got by. Got really. it. Yeah. Yes. And I had been obsessed.
obsessed with being Mary Jane. And no, the founder, well, she did in the show, oh, yes. Oh, Mara Brock but, but Mara Brock Akil, she went to Northwestern, and she also made girlfriends. And so I was like, oh, my God, the only, like, powerful yeah. black woman that I'm, like, obsessed with right now went to this school. Yeah. So I think that was a big inspiration. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Mara Brock Akil is my profile. I'm a Delta, so she's my oh, profile. Uh, yeah. Stop. Yeah. That's but amazing. She, she doesn't come back to a ton of stuff, but we, like, she hold does. her. She did it. She did it. I know. She didn't come back. <laughs> yeah. But she, I, like, live for her. Why did I go to, what was the question? Oh, why yeah, why did you choose Northwestern? It was so random. So I come from like very strict Caribbean parents mm-hmm. who were like, you're going to go to the best school that you can go into. I applied to 20 colleges when I, I was applying. I had, I had the same thing. Really? Yeah. I did Northwestern ED, so I never submitted the uh, other 22 apps. <laughs> but I did have them ready. Yeah, I had them ready. And so Northwestern transparently was the best school that I got into. And my parents were like, no decision, you're going. Yeah. So yeah. that is literally what I did. Oh my God, yeah. did you like it? You know, it's so interesting. It wasn't a typical collegiate experience. It wasn't what I was envisioning. Yeah. And coming from the parental background that I came from, which was like very strict, Caribbean, also homogenous, like private school, like I was ready to go to college in terms of like have fun and go to parties and like enjoy. And (laughs) Northwestern is not that. (laughs) that, No. (laughs) It is like very academic, very, a very residential town. It's not a college experience that I was expecting. So because of that, that was a little disappointing. But on the flip side, I made some of the best friends. Last weekend, I went to Chicago, my best friend, who was my roommate and all of that in college. Mm -hmm. She was graduating from business school. So we go, all of us flew in to support her. And like someone will be pregnant and we'll fly in to support them. Mm -hmm. So like this sisterhood, particularly of black women that I was able to find at Northwestern, Mm -hmm. was so powerful and so incredible. But was like the college experience fun? No, yeah. but like the fellow, I got what I needed out of it. I would That's say. good. That's I good. And then it. you moved here right after. Girl, I lived in Minneapolis. Oh my god! I was the world's worst business analyst. I worked at Target. Oh my god! I was gonna say that's the only reason anyone goes. Yes, it's like Target, Target, General Mills. Yeah, yeah one of those. So yeah, I went to Target. I was. T- I think I lasted four months and like I could see that I was gonna get fired so I quit before I could get fired yeah, yeah it was like an ego I was like y'all not gonna fire me yeah so I moved back home I moved back home for six months and then I ended up getting a job at a nonprofit here in New York and then I moved to New York okay so in 2014 so like six seven I would say like eight months after I graduated I moved so here. when you moved to New York for a job at a nonprofit, how did you get to where you are now in your career Great question. Um, it was a lot of like happenstance. So I would say everything was sort of like orchestrated, I, I would say divinely in terms of how I grew up, very homogenous background once again, and it wasn't a lot of diversity representation. I worked in finance when I was, you know, Chicago field studies. Mm, yeah. I did, yes, I, I did, did that too. Where'd you work? I did at a small luxury jewelry company oh, called Dana cool. Rebecca Designs. And I think if I hadn't had that that's why I loved going to Northwestern and having Chicago Field Studies because yep. I would never have imagined working in business. I was going to be a lawyer, like, and so that yeah. experience working in a small woman-owned business like changed the, my mindset. I love that. But I yeah, that. I was so, at Morgan Stanley. They uh, all were. They all. All were of us were. So, I was like, this is my chance to work in finance. And then, like, once again, having Caribbean parents, they were like, you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, or like, we'll allow finance. Mm-hmm. So essentially, I went there, and then. Kind of as I was there, I realized the lack of representation. I was the only woman, only woman of color at, on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then working in Minneapolis, and it was just like extremely, extremely homogenous. And I really didn't feel like I had the support. I was sort of navigating microaggressions, and I just didn't have the language for all of this. Especially, this is like pre, even the founding of Black Lives Matter. Oh, this is yeah. Like, this is yeah. like 2013, yeah. which feels like eons ago. Yeah. Girl, every time I say I when I graduated, you're like, Oh. oh my god! Oh my I think no, no, you're not that old, and like I really hope I look like you forever too. So we're gonna get into you're our beauty so too. Yes, yes, I have all of them. But no, seriously, like when I went to this nonprofit, it was because it was essentially a nonprofit that helps students of color get into banking and private equity. What is it? SEO sponsored. Oh, SEO! Yeah. I did MLT. Oh, you did MLT? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, very similar mm-hmm. to an MLT. Okay. So I did SEO, um, and I was a program manager there, and it was really because I didn't have that support and that instruction and that mentorship mm-hmm. and I wanted to be able to provide that for other people so I worked there for two years and I actually just did a TikTok on this but really thinking about your career from a brand and technical standpoint so SEO a nonprofit it's highly under resourced as most nonprofits are 
you essentially are learning technical skills. Like I was learning how to run a run a program. I was learning how to recruit. I was learning how to do branding because mm-hmm. we didn't have a branding team. We didn't have a marketing team. I was doing all of the publicity, all of the comms, all of the PR. Mm-hmm. So it gave me such a strong technical background. And when I say technical, I guess I mean tactical skills. skills. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that experience then allowed me to work at Google, which is like a big brand. But at these big brands, they want people who know how to do things. And yeah. so because of that, I was interviewing um, one of my best friends had just gotten a job prior and she was able to refer me. Yes, um, thank that God. Referral. That referral. Because mm-hmm. I had applied to Google like four times before that mm-hmm. and nada. And yeah. then once she referred me, which is like interesting. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah. So she referred me to Google and that's how I was able to get my foot in the door. But I had those tactical skills from working at a nonprofit. And when I worked at Google, very interestingly, we did essentially like a case study yeah. to figure out who performs the best at Google. That was like one of my projects. What, what, would you, what, was, what did you work on? I was uh, essentially diversity, but I was within people ops. People ops, okay. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Um, and one of the like outcomes of that case study were people who had like tactical skills perform the best at Google. So for example, mm-hmm. in sales, it wasn't people who came from Amazon. It wasn't people who came from Meta. It was people who came from like retail. Yeah. Who had those skills mm-hmm. who could then transfer them. And it was because they weren't inundated with, like, the Amazon way of selling. Like, they just had the tactical skills and were open and ready to learn. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how I came from the nonprofit was obviously referral, but I had the actual skills. And then I come to Google, and Google's a really big brand. And what I learned there was sort of how to navigate corporate bureaucracy and sort of, like, how to... It'll teach yes, you that. <laughs> like, how to sort of figure how to, like, manage your manager or, yeah. like, how does a big business work? Like, if you have a million-dollar budget to organize a program, like, what are some of the initiatives? How do you roll out? What does a project plan look like? Like, those are the sort of skills that I learned at Google. Like, personally, for me, and I think for a lot of friends, Google wasn't hard, but I think the hardest part was getting into Google. It wasn't actually hard working there, but I learned like the corporate soft skills at Google. Absolutely. And then from there, I worked at a non-pro- or a startup. I was the head of head of a department at a startup, and I got that job pretty young, which was crazy. Yeah. It was incredibly challenging. I basically, I was the first person in that role. I had to head up a department. I had no team, no budget, and still had to like kind of create something incredible out of that. And it was the head of diversity, so it wasn't really a highly res- I wouldn't say respected, but it wasn't a highly prioritized role from a business perspective. And still having to, like, get people on board and launch things and, like, run that for almost three years. What was the industry? Real estate. Like, real estate Uh, tech. So we IPO'd maybe five months into my tenure there. So I came in pre-IPO. We took the company public. And I was, like, a senior executive there, which is my first, like, leadership role. I think I was 27, 28. Wow. That's crazy. It was pretty young. Yeah. And it was really, it was incredibly challenging. I faced a ton of imposter syndrome. I was, I was the only, maybe one or two black women who were in senior leadership roles. Oh yeah. Um, I'm curious yeah. then, what made you? People ask this question a lot, which is, how do you know when it's time to jump in your career? So when you went from SEO to Google, yes. and then from Google to a startup, which is a pretty common yeah. like path yeah. going from yeah. Google to a startup, what was the reason that you decided mm. to do that, and how did you know? Yeah. I think for me, how I know when to leave is sort of like centered around a few things. One, the point of diminishing returns is like the big one for me. If I feel like my input is not matching the, I'm not getting the ROI based off of my input. So that is either my skills, experiences, I'm not getting the mentorship, the compensation. Work ultimately is a transaction. I'm offering you my time, skills, experiences. They're offering me compensation, mentorship, and a development of self personally and professionally. If those things begin to diminish in a way that is not commensurate to what I'm inputting, that to me is getting to the point of diminishing returns, which is when you know it's time to leave. Mm-hmm. That's one. Two is like when it affects your mental well-being or just well-being in general. If it starts to d- diminish on your capacity to show up and feel psychologically safe, if it Im- impedes on your professional confidence or self-confidence, if you begin to doubt your intelligence or intellect, it's time to leave. And then I would say... Time to leave when you feel like you've sort of hit this, like, peak performance for too long. Like, Mm. when you go into autopilot at work and you're like, I have not felt challenged in this role in, like, a year, six months to a year. You may just have reached, like, the top of your band in this role and it's time to acquire new skills or go back to school, et cetera. So those, I would say I've experienced all of those. Transparently at Google, I was like, I am 
coasting. Like I have not felt challenged in a very long time. And as you know, Google, it takes a very long time to, to reach a leadership. Yes. To get anything. Yeah. To get any, they're like, you got to be in this role for four years. And, and then, it's very yeah. stringent. So Absolutely. it was time. Yeah. yeah. That was a similar reason I left was like, especially when you're young there, there's yes. not a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. to be challenged, mm-hmm. um, especially with that long promo cycle so after I got promoted for those listening the average promotion cycle at Google is 27 or 28 months which is a really long time time. and it's tough to get new projects when you're in that cycle and I was in an L5 role as an L3 and it was like yeah yeah, and it was like come on like I'm not gonna and if this is the L5 role what's it gonna be when it's an L6 role and I've been doing it for three years so I feel you it's crazy but I think you articulated that beautifully Mm -hmm. and I feel like people are gonna think about that from an intellectual perspective Mm -hmm. which is good Mm -hmm. because you can use your feelings to make a decision too but thinking about it in that framework is really helpful yes yes I love that of course of course so Tell me about TikTok. How did that <laughs> jump into your situation? Oh, my God. This is actually going to sound very morbid, but um, I was actually going through a very challenging season. I would say at the end of last year, mm-hmm. it was extremely, extremely difficult. So my dad had passed away in October of 2020. Sorry. Thank yeah. you. Or October of 2022. And then that was October. November, I was dating someone. Oh, and on my 31st birthday, we were in Cabo. We wake up on vacation, and he's like, "Yeah, this is just not. Yeah, it's just I just can't. I just yeah, yeah." On, on my thirty first, so I spent my entire thirty first because Cabo is far from New York. It's a six hour flight. Yeah, I got to the airport. I was like, "Okay, I want to think about me. I'm gonna leave you mm-hmm. right where I found you." So I checked out of the hotel, and I spent my entire thirty first birthday in the air. Going wow. back home. So that was that. Then December, I went through some friendship breakups. Ugh. I went through, and then I got laid off in January. No. It was January. Yeah, I was laid off from my job. Wow. So it was sort of going through it. I was going through it. Mm-hmm. Very transparently, was like very much going through it. And so TikTok was sort of born out of specifically the timing. And it's so sort of crazy to say and to think about. But when I started TikTok and like some of my like biggest videos were actually when I was like at home processing my dad passing away mm-hmm. and I think what that what my father passing away really taught me is sort of living life urgently and sort of thinking about like it was so nervous and also you know I'm 31 turning 32 a lot of my peers are not on TikTok they're not mm-hmm. on social media they think it's like kind of silly and I remember being like I have something to say I have something to offer but I feel really embarrassed mm-hmm. and then once my dad passed away it's sort of like this urgency once you have something as like you know, deep as losing a parent or a child or something like that. There's a sense of urgency and, like, mortality that, that you become very familiar with that you have to sort of grapple with. And so I did this exercise of thinking, like, okay, who's going to care? Mm-hmm. Who's the they out there that I care so much about? And I couldn't name someone. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm, I'm nervous that people are going to care. Okay, name five people that you think are going to judge you. Absolutely. And I couldn't really name it. Or maybe I thought of one or two, and I'm like, am I going to live my life contingent upon the opinion of, like, one or two people who are, like, friends of friends of friends? Like, yes. no one that I actually care about is mm-hmm. going to judge me for this. So transparently, a lot of those TikToks were, like, I wouldn't say a distraction, but sort of, like, healing for me. It was very cathartic for me to, like, just share with women and, like, fellowship with women and be received I think, pretty well from a lot of them as well. Absolutely. And I think that when you can channel something that's difficult for you yeah. into something that's beautiful for other people, mm-hmm. it's really healing mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that you can't even imagine yeah. sometimes. And I think that's where a lot of my content has come from as well, mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. realizing, like, you know, things are not what yeah. I thought they were yeah. and having to figure that out, but doing it on a scale that can assist other people. Yeah. So I think that's beautiful. And I'm curious then, like, what would you, how would you classify your content if you had to describe Mm. it to somebody? Yeah. I would say it's everything I wish I knew in my 20s. So Mm. I wasn't, I have half sisters, but we're not particularly close and they're significantly older than me. And especially growing up, you know, in suburbs of Massachusetts, I didn't have black women who I could ask particular questions. Right. So it's just like how do I navigate this career thing? Or like, where do I go out in New York City? Or like, what clothes should I be? All of these things were kind of happenstance that I kind of figured up or figured out. And so if I were able to kind of just give a blueprint of 
my intention is to give maximum optionality to women of color, young women of color. Mm -hmm. You do not have to get your lashes done. You do not have to join a members-only club. You do not have to join a junior board. But I just wish I knew that was an option for me growing Mm -hmm. up. And so ultimately, it's just empowering women with the resources, advice, insight that I wish I had to really just live your best life and choose to opt in or opt out of whatever makes sense. But to me, having that optionality and even knowing that it existed and seeing someone else model it would have been life-changing for me. I think so, too. And that is the beauty of social media now. It's like being able to see that. I've learned so much from following you. And I think a lot of people have. And that's why people love your videos so much. And so I'm curious, what's the biggest thing you wish you knew when you were, say, my age, 24? You're 20. Okay, first yeah. of all, you have so much gravitas oh, thank for you. a 24-year-old. I'm the oldest of eight kids. Okay, that's what that's it is. Why, You're yeah. giving grown. <laughs> thank you. I, I love that. It. I yeah. love. And I also think like your generation, I have like interns and direct reports who are like 21, 24. Mm-hmm. Gen Z, y'all are very, there's like this inner compass that you all have. I think maybe from social yeah. media that's like very Maybe because we've seen a little more because we see other people, I yes. think, is what is what helps too. Yes. So yeah. I love yeah. your generation. We don't hear that often, so thanks. Yes, of course. (laughs) Oh, what was the biggest thing you wish you knew? It could be social, it could be beauty, it could be career when you were 24. Oh, biggest thing I wish I knew. One, you don't have to have it all figured out. And I know that sounds cliche, but honestly, when you turn 30, something clicks in you that is just so different. So one, I would say, don't spend a lot of your life like optimizing for other people. If I, I think when my life started to get really, really like, good, delicious, like I love, I love where I'm at right now, is when I started to just focus centrally on myself. And I think in your 20s, you spend so much time outside of yourself, like you're constantly gathering information from social media, from your friends, from your job, and you're sort of using, you invite those things to form an opinion of self. Mm -hmm. I think when you begin to like look inward and begin to like um, really spend all of your extra energy sort of fortifying who you are, all of that sort of fades to black. And so I wish I, I wish I knew, one, like, spend all of your energy on self. Like, think about what would make you your best self from an attraction standpoint, from an intellectual standpoint, from a money standpoint, and focus solely on those things and sort of dim the volume down on everything else outside of that. I would also say, two, at 24, I wish I knew more about, like, beauty. Like, do you wear sunscreen every day? Oh, yes. Okay, girl. I was going to oh, say. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. until I was like 20, maybe. Okay, okay. well, yeah, you're still yeah. under the game. Like, yeah. I think good. social media, you all have so much access to so much information. We didn't know. Unless you like went to a dermatologist, we were just out here living. Yeah. So I wish I had more access to like beauty, beauty treatments. I think at 24, you're still pretty young. Yeah. Like, sunscreen. And I have a lot of friends, friends who are dermatologists, who started their Botox regimen at like 25, mm. which is like very fascinating and interesting. But yeah, just like more access to information around beauty. I also would have said, like, don't, I would say, I'm, I, I have a controversial opinion about this. Tell me. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I don't necessarily think people, I don't think people should take themselves off the market dating-wise. Dating-wise, yeah. Until you're, like, 28 plus. Okay. But only if you're in a healthy relationship and if you found your man, I feel like, I think I, I have, I think, I think, so. I think you're in, I That's think you're fair. in your my man, my man, yeah. my man era, yeah. so I'm not talking to you, because you got it. But like, I'll t- yeah, but I think this is good yes, for people to hear. Exactly. Yeah. I would say, I honor your singledom. I think some, especially if you live in like a major city, some of the best life experiences I've had have, and honestly, some of the biggest growings I've had have been in relationship with other people dating going out like some of the best like clubs and restaurants and experiences but also learnings have been from being single so I would say put your singledom on a pedestal and like I would not I would I would remain single as long as you can and focus and take that energy and time to focus on self because when you're in a relationship with these dudes and they're 25 Mm -hmm. and you're 20 it's a lot and you end up kind of outsourcing a lot to them and I think what I've seen is a lot of people are rushing just to say they have a man yes not to find someone who is perfect for them I think and like how I know my relationship is healthy is that if it ended tomorrow I would be fine and I think a lot of people are very much like well, as long as I can say I have a boyfriend, that's right. all that matters. And I mean, as women, I mean, we're right. we, people, we have so many things coming at yeah. us. And one of them is like, yeah. you are, quote, better if you yes. are married yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But we have to really let go of that narrative. It's exhausting, it's exhausting. to listen to. Yeah. And on, I think, like you said earlier, 
honoring yourself and focusing mm-hmm. so much on yourself, honoring singledom is sort of like a testament to that. Yes, you know, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. I think it's interesting because I have so a lot of friends who are in relationships, mm-hmm. and I think New York is one of the cities where a lot of friends are not in relationships. So, totally. like my Northwestern girlies, all married, all having that's babies. That Midwest that's that Midwest. Midwest. They got rings. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm the only single friend out of that friend group. Really? Oh yeah, by far and away. And then New York, everyone is single and everyone is having fun, etc. So I, I am grateful that I think also with social media, I don't know uh, if it's all just on my TikTok, but I'm yeah. seeing a lot of people talk about you know they weren't happy in marriages or they're getting divorced or they don't want kids, and now we're kind of being inundated with alternative ways of living and seeing women happy and single so I am really grateful for that I think relationships are beautiful and I think people should invest in them and I think some self-discovery can only happen in tandem with someone else and by being in relationship with someone else but also realizing that that is not like the apex of your life that is not a crescendo point that is like very much a bullet point of like larger things about you absolutely so I, I mean, I guess I'm curious on that like dating front mm-hmm. for you. Then, yes. like, what do you look for in <laughs> in someone? That's such a great question, and I'm really like refining and honing this as I continue to self discover. Mm-hmm. Um, my answer would have been so different like a decade ago. Yeah. Um, I think for me, one, what I really value, and I think I I recently did an exercise where I figured out what my personal needs are, mm. and it's really centered around how I grew up. It was really pushed academically. I was really pushed professionally, and I really was sort of, I grew up very much validating myself based off of achievement, accomplishment, sometimes even extra. Yes, exactly. So you very much tie a lot of your self-worth, and you very much tie a lot of your sort of identity to like bullet points, resume, or even external. How do you look? How do you present? For me, it's really important at this stage of my life to be cherished for who I am, like the essence of who I am. I want my partner to think I'm interesting and funny and smart and beautiful and sort of have this like idyllic view of me. And not that I'm perfect, but like I don't want to be viewed, and especially in cities like New York and if you're dating like young professional men, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's like a resume swap. Like, okay, you worked here, you did this. Okay, great. You yeah. fit into this narrative of what I'm viewing as like an ideal partner. Mm-hmm. I want someone to sort of cherish the essence of me. And that's really important based off of, you know, how I grew up personally. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of women of color also, it was, we kind of grew up in that era of, um, really being like re- reduced and refined down to like just what our output is yeah so being cherished just for who we are is important to me I think that's beautiful and a good reminder because so many of us I think the downside of being in Gen Z is that the social media comparison trap yes. really like makes it makes that resume swap mm-hmm. a lot worse because we're just looking at each other's yes. highlight reels yes. so I think that people need to hear that yeah. too like like, we're always optimizing for a goal, but let's sit back for a second and think yes. about who we are and yes. cherish that yes. first. So I also, switching gears slightly, but sort of in the same vein, there's a lot of talk on the internet about living a soft life yes. um, or, like, <laughs> sprinkle, sprinkle, being yes. taken care of and stuff yes. like that. Yes. And I think that it's difficult because... Yeah. I grew up super like hyper independent mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But then now it's like, wait, you don't have to be that independent. What was your experience with that? And like yeah. when you're thinking about like dating someone, are you thinking about income and stuff like that? What does that look like? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. I do think about income transparently because I I realize I do not want to be the breadwinner for my household. I don't I'm, either. If I'm being completely I honest. I don't. I So when I was laid off, I think that was very fortified mm-hmm. in like, dang, if I, like, I don't want to, and I'm going to have to figure this out. Like, I don't want to be the breadwinner for my household. And if I think about being pregnant and I got to take, uh-uh. you know, haul myself to the office because the house is going to sink if I ain't, clock, like, no, no, that's not necessarily, like, my vibe. But I also respect, and I think I actually recently read a study where we, where women are the breadwinners of the household, marriages tend to last longer and be a little oh, bit happier. Um, yeah, so I'm like, mood, cute for you. Okay. Now I'll be my testimony. <laughs> but no, I, I do respect and love that. So income is a factor because I also realize the realities of I plan on living in New York. I plan on having children. I understand and I'm incredibly practical about what that's going to, how much that's going to cost. And I also feel like I bring income to the table. I'm very realistic around the fact that, you know, I make a solid salary. And so I would like someone to also offer that to me. I'm not asking 100%. for anything that I'm not. What I will offer is, you know, sprinkle, sprinkle lady. You know, I live for her and I live for a lot of other people. However, I think ultimately what I'm learning in dating and what I think is really important for a lot of us, particularly women of color to learn, is the concept of vulnerability. And I think that is something that I haven't fully leaned into or understood up until very recently. 
I don't necessarily think it's about being like soft and delicate and like wearing particular things or looking a particular way. I think oftentimes in relationships, cultivating a place of emotional intimacy is really ultimately what I think the essence of femininity is. I don't necessarily think it's acting a particular way or behaving in a particular way. I think it's being able to cultivate a safe space for you and your partner to share the innermost parts of yourself and him being comfortable or they being comfortable to share that with you and you offering some of that. And I think, once again, for a lot of women of color, for a lot of black women, how we grew up, I, or at least how I grew up, I was never really asked how I felt about things. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was told, you're going to go to tennis camp, you're going to go to Northwestern, you're going to go to private school. And I didn't have the optionality of like, well, how does this make me feel? And so I walked into relationships being very, I led with like thoughts and I led, I didn't lead with emotion or feeling. Mm-hmm. And therefore it wasn't, we weren't able to cultivate a safe and intimate and vulnerable space with each other. And that's sort of the foundation of any relationship. So I think an exercise that I often have to do, I carry around sometimes like an actual emotion wheel. And like sometimes when I don't know what I'm feeling, you bring out the emotions wheel and you're saying like, I, okay, I'm feeling, I can tell that I'm feeling triggered because I can feel it in my throat and I can feel it in my chest and I'm crossing my arms. What is the emotion that I'm feeling? And you're able to sort of offer to your partner, hey, what you said made me feel like this versus sort of jumping to, you know, judgment or like, why did you do that? Or like being triggered. I offer emotions and feelings now. And that's sort of how I've created intimacy and softness in my interpersonal relationships is putting those the names to those emotions offering emotions names vulnerability yeah you keep mentioning i do this exercise a lot did you learn these in therapy oh yeah where are you where are you getting this from and do you journal like what's that like yeah Yeah. oh my goodness so i in the pandemic i hired like 15 Period. I was like, I'm going to get. You've talked about this. I have coaches and stuff. Yes, Mm -hmm. I got a therapist, a personal trainer, a life coach, a career coach, and then sort of like a femininity coach. I didn't realize she was a femininity coach, but ultimately it was a femininity coach. Yeah, and also like dating coaches. I've done it all. Oh yeah. Okay. I've done it all. Yeah. Because I'm literally like, I only can take myself to like the knowledge and experiences that I have, and sometimes it's kind of like blind leading the blind with my girlfriends and things. I'm like, you know what? If I have the income and the resources to do so, I'm going to outsource some of this insight. Mm -hmm. And so therapy was transformative. I think everyone should be in therapy. And that's where we learned the body scan of like, I'm feeling something. I don't feel safe. I feel triggered. What's the emotion behind it? What am I feeling and why am I feeling that way? Being able to like actually name the experiences that you're having inside your body was really important to me. Mm -hmm. So that's what I learned in therapy, life coaching, career coaching, all of that Mm -hmm. I've like invested in. And it's been so worthwhile. What's the biggest thing you've learned from your life coach and then your career coach? Because I'm thinking of investing in a career coach because I feel like I'm going crazy. (laughs) I would say from my career coach, it's actually very interesting. My career coach kind of operated more like a life coach in in ways. Um, And I think I shared this on one of my TikToks, but I was complaining to her about my manager. And my manager at the startup, I was, you know, once again, like 28, 29. I did not know how to give manager feedback upwards to my manager. He was, you know, certainly passive aggressive at the time, this this manager in particular, certainly didn't advocate for me or my career. And I remember it was just complaining. Like, I was just like, oh, my God, and he did this and he did that. And she stopped me and she was like, okay, you're complaining, but did you ever ask for your needs to be met by him? And I was like, oh. She dragged you. Yeah, I was. And she was like, you're complaining, but you never once asked him or gave him the opportunity. You never said, hey, I need mentorship. Hey, I need support on this project. Hey, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you cannot now judge him for not showing up for you in ways that you never expressed you needed. Yeah. And so that was a really big piece from like a mentor or from a career coach perspective. Also, likely you're underpaid is probably like the biggest through line that I can tell anyone is if you are a woman, a woman of color, if you are a person working, period, you are yeah. underpaid. True. And so if you're able to find out, there's this thing called Radford Data. I had a career consultant look this up for me. And you're able to put in your exact position, where which city you're in, the size of your company, if you're publicly or privately held, and it will how many direct reports you have, all of that. And it will spit out, based off of comparisons, your exact salary that you should be making. Yeah. And when I did it, I was $100,000 underpaid. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which makes sense. Which makes and sense. I do think the to be a 
intelligent black woman mm-hmm. with the experience you had mm-hmm. from the nonprofit to Google mm-hmm. to a startup, mm-hmm. like you're one million percent always. underpaid. Always. always. You underpaid. are always underpaid. And black women are always the best at our jobs. Yes. Like I think ninety yes. percent of the time yep. I feel that in yep. every in every area. Yeah. And like but then most likely to not get promoted. Eggs. And, and like that, that was a yeah. big thing. Yeah, you knew one that of our company too. I was yeah. gonna say mm-hmm. one of, I mean the lawsuit. Did you see the lawsuit? I know they, I gotta um I gotta call I gotta too. Call you got you finna get some money. I said, thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah. You got the check? Oh, no, I didn't get it yet, but I opened the thing. Yes, for those listening, there is a lawsuit <laughs> that, against Google yeah. for women women and women of color, yeah, I think, yeah. who were in certain levels, mm-hmm. basically were discriminated against, and they mm-hmm. proved it, and there's a settlement. So all of us who worked there at a certain time yep. are getting a settlement check. Oh, because, I love. And I love that because I it's love that definitely not what I deserve from what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, you deserve definitely more. definitely a... Uh, whoever did this lawsuit, thank you. Yes. Let's yes. fill this room with thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Praise you. Yes, I love it's it. It's crazy. But yeah, it's it's wild. And I think Google likes to portray itself as so liberal and oh, good. Yes. And I think that was the hard part for me was yeah. I felt like gypped in a way. Because yes. it was like, why are we? But no company is ever doing what they no say they're doing. No company is ever doing, doing it. Yeah. I think Google and a lot of these tech companies are like pseudo liberal and they have this sort of and I think that's almost like where more harm is done, yeah. where they have this like ethos of like equity and equality and we're doing it and they are spending. And I, you know, especially doing this work, I understand the duality of it because it's like we're trying in companies that are inherently capitalistic and inherently built on the concepts of exploitation. You know, we live in a capitalist culture. Yeah. It's very hard to then right the wrongs that we're experiencing on a societal level. Oh, yeah. Simultaneously, you know, Google spending millions of dollars and still a, a externally with HBCUs and with mm. equal justice initiatives and all of that, but still the black and brown folks internally are suffering and not seeing any of that. Yeah. And um, the churn is crazy. Like insane. black women do not stay there. Do not and stay. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, I think you're right. It's kind of where some, some harm is more yeah. harm is done, which is tough. But yeah. now that you, you just went back to work, uh-huh. How did you make that choice? What did you look for in a career then with all the knowledge that you you, you knew yeah, already? Yeah. yeah. I would say, so I, I was laid off in January, but I had been looking prior. So okay. the job that I actually applied for, I had, I had um, applied prior to being laid off. And what I will offer is, one, the concept of, like, manifestation I believe in mm-hmm. and is extremely real. And I think, like, I believe in sort of, like, a divine order of your life. And so, for example, this job that I applied to, I hadn't been laid off yet, and truly an inner voice sort of came over me and was like, your job is on this company's website. Like, go to this company's website. And it was on the second page. It wasn't even on the first page. To scroll through, I applied, and it, the interview process was six months. So I was like, oh, oh I didn't, it was extremely long. Uh-huh. And I ended up getting the job. And it's, it's an amazing opportunity, an amazing experience. But ultimately, like, this sort of, like, inner knowing and inner ping to go do something I don't believe was of myself. It was my higher self, whatever, not to get too woo-woo. But ultimately, however, in that time, in those six months, you know, I'd go a month or two without hearing from them. And, you know, I got laid off in that time. And, you know, that made me feel a sense of urgency of needing to get a new job. However, I was so solidly rooted in what I needed to experience in my next career. And I got job offers and I got very shiny job mm-hmm. offers. Like mm-hmm. some of your favorite brands, yeah. like their head of diversity, some of like very high luxury fashion brands, like being their head. And it would be so sexy and so cool. Mm-hmm. But it was like, uh uh-uh, uh, something is off. They're not going to pay me well. Something's off about this manager. Like yeah. she's not going to support me. Oh, I have to relocate to a city and I want to relocate to. And I stood really firm and steadfast in what I was looking for. And what those things were was, I think at different points you optimize for different things. Where I am at 31, I'm optimizing for compensation and psychological safety and work-life balance. Mm. My job prior, I was optimizing for leadership experience, leadership title, an opportunity to run a department, et cetera. Now I don't really care. If you gave me no direct reports, I wouldn't care. Like I'm not like, I'm not in the stage or era of my life where I have to be like career girly, but Mm -hmm. I was, you know, four years ago. So I was very certain of like what the vision of how I wanted to feel and what I wanted work to look like for me. And I kind of just remained steadfast in that. And I turned down really sexy offers and I kind of thought of them as tests. Like 
universe was like, all right, are you really ready for what you're asking for? Right. And I can't, it would be 80% of what I wanted, 60% of what I wanted. And I was like, no, I know exactly what I want. And I also feel worthy of it. I've done the work. Yes. I understand, like I've done the business. I have the technical skills. I have all of that. I'm ready for my next opportunity and I'll stay steadfast until I find it. And that is beautiful. Uh-huh. I think that I, when people ask me for career advice, sometimes that's what I say is like, it's out there. It's you out just there. have to believe that. Yeah. And it's very hard to believe. Yes. But like hearing your testimony yeah. is really nice to hear as well with yeah. all that. So I'm glad to hear it. And I'm happy that you're yeah. happy so far. Yeah. In your role. Yes. Thank you. So I want to switch gears yeah. to beauty yes. because and to self-care yes. because, first of all, you're so beautiful. Thank you. And As are you. Thank you. And you give such great beauty tips. Thank so you. I want to know first... What's your what are your what's your stance on plastic surgery mm-hmm. and like what is it called cosmetic procedures? Mm-hmm. What are your favorites? What are your thoughts? Yes, yeah. So I live for them. Mm-hmm. I personally live, and I was having this debate with one of my friends who's who's antithetical. Like, yeah, she does not agree with it. She thinks, and I and I also understand that um, totally perspective and point of view. For me, I believe in creating maximum optionality for women, and so for me, plastic surgery is one of those things. And so it's not necessarily like, oh, it's something that I want. I think when I have a kid, like, yeah, yeah I'm a mm-hmm. edge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once I have a kid or whatever, I'm I'm very open of like sharing that, and whoever my partner is, they're gonna be paying for it too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. all of that, I'm very open, and I'm you know that's fine with me. But yeah, I believe in like optimizing who you are, and like if that is something that you want to opt into. And I think for a while, beauty was sort of like commodified in a way, like only if you're not like. Beauty is only for the people who are not, and like, you know, only naturally beautiful people. And now there's like this backlash because beauty has been sort of, the gatekeeping of beauty has no longer, it's like a free market for anyone to have access to. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the tension comes from that of, you know, naturally beautiful women being like, oh, she didn't naturally look like that. Like I should be regarded. She shouldn't be able to have the same opportunities as me because she bought that or she fixed that. No, it's a free market. And if like sis got the coin to do it, like I kind of live for it. So I am someone who just lives for women having options to better their lives in whichever ways. But I'm also not, I'm not immune to or naive to the psychological impacts. I understand that a lot of this is coming from the male gaze and we Mm -hmm. often live in a society or we, we fully live in a society that is optimizing for the male gaze. And I understand that. And I think I'm, sort of torn between like my ideological understanding of that but also the realism of like okay but I we also have to operate in this world and so what are the best tools and methods to sort of create optionality in my life and the lives of other women whether it's utilizing surgery or whether it's utilizing other means to kind of just live your best life and whatever that looks like for you feel free to opt in or opt out totally so do you have any favorite ones that you've done or that you'd recommend oh yeah um i do botox um i've been doing botox probably i do it like twice a year i've probably Mm -hmm. done it like three years now Mm -hmm. i've done m sculpt which i love Oh yeah, what so is that? It's, it's like a machine that you put on your stomach. Is it the stomach? Okay, yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. And it's like doing 20,000 crunches in Oh my time. god, crazy. Yes. I need to do that cuz I feel like I that that's been my problem area my whole life. It yes. just doesn't go away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing like diet ex- ex- exercise like if you are not genetically mm-hmm. Like slim in that area, nothing you do it will exactly. make it go away. Exactly. So I think I'm sculpt, and for me, it's just like I like feeling confident in my clothes. Like I like just putting on things and like, oh, I don't have to wear spank. It's unmatched. Yeah, you yes. know when you're like snatched. Yeah, when you feel feel good, or when you have an outfit that feels good. Yes. It's like I recently started getting over like spending money on really nice clothes because yeah. I was I used to just not invest in it. Yeah, but now like the feeling in it is so important to me Great. that I feel like it's all. Yeah, 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 I love it. I love it. So, M sculpt I love um, for like toning and shrinking. I've also done Cool Sculpt. That's like mixed reviews. Yeah, I've heard mixed reviews. Very mixed yeah. reviews. I enjoyed it, but yeah. I think M sculpt is a little safer. Botox. Um, I've done. I haven't. Who do you go to in the city? I just started going to Dr. Michelle Henry, oh, the girl, yes, the a girl, girl dermatologist. Girl. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, love her. She's been amazing. I used to go to a place in Union Square, but I, mm-hmm. I'm gonna big up Dr. Michelle Henry. Period. Yeah, we love so, to see yes. it. I love I think, to see it. Oh, yeah. micro. Oh, let me go from head to toe. Okay, I got a perm, Botox, microblading, lashes. Um, I got a lip slip recently, but I don't think that did anything. <laughs> Your lips are gorgeous. Thank I you. Really like, like, they're beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Sis. Can we get some breakdown of the face? Like the, um, 
I don't have words today. I haven't had products? coffee. What? The products. Yes. Um, skincare phase yes. and some makeup phase. Yes. Okay, so for skincare... I don't know if medical grade skincare is a real thing. I think yeah. it's like the same thing as they organic. They be talking about they it. They be talking about it. And yeah. I don't know if it's, it's like the same thing as organic where it's yeah. like, I think if you have a few things, it's technically organic right. or technically medical grade. But I use like a very, very like gentle facial cleanser. My best friend is also gorgeous and a dermatologist. So I'm like, mm. anything you tell me, yes. I'll do. Yeah. Um, so I get a lot of insights and like insider tips from her. Love. So a gentle skincare routine is honestly what you should do unless you have like active issues. And I was talking to her over the weekend and she was sharing that she's seeing a lot of people come in with actually like contact dermatitis or dermatitis from using all like the 12 step programs yes. and like the Korean skincare lab. Mm -hmm. She's like, uh, 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 uh. No. it should be four things or you're going to rebound and like start breaking out because I of all of that. I 100% stand by that. Yes. That's what I've seen work for me. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I use like Cetaphil, CeraVe. Mm -hmm. I use um, micellar water. Oil bombs don't really work for me. So micellar water to take off makeup. I use Cetaphil. I'll maybe use like Paula's Choice BHA as a toner or like mm -hmm. glycolic acid. All of these things are like $8. Right. And then I use Obagi, which is a, that's a medical grade moisturizer. So I'll yeah. splurge on a moisturizer because I have drier skin. And then Elta MD sunscreen. Love it. And that's it. Okay. And then I use Tretinoin at night. Okay, cool. And that's, that's it. it. Retinol, yeah. All that's right. it. And then for... Skincare, I don't really wear foundation a ton, so I will wear Kosas concealer. And I have it on too. You have Kosas. So I love Kosas. It's so good. Blake Newby recommended it, and ever since, like, uh, it's 100% oh, done. Love Blake. So yeah. So Kosas concealer. I also love um, Tower 28, I think it is. Mm -hmm. They're, uh, like, bronzer. Yeah. Like a creamy bronzer. Love mm -hmm. them. I use, I think, Refi. Yeah, Refi Beauty. Refi Beauty, the brow. Yeah, I might not say it right either, but yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. And they always come for me on TikTok. Like, you didn't pronounce it. Yeah. I'm like, I... I can't... Sure. Sure. This is free. Yeah, yeah, this information is free. Yes. You can't. It's all right. We'll be okay. I can't do it. Yeah, literally. So the refi um, that I get my lashes done. I use Rare Beauty is good. Mm. I love you know Rare Beauty. Yeah, of course I do. Okay, okay, okay. I just got their blush for the first the time. The liquid blush. Yeah, the liquid I blush. I love yeah. Rare Beauty's liquid oh blush. Gosh, yeah. And also their high. They have a beautiful highlighter. Everyone's been saying that. Is that what I need to do next? Yes. Highlighter. You need okay. to buy the highlighter. They have a gorgeous highlighter. Yeah. And then. I use like dollar store lip liner. I do use Fenty. That's it. I'm not good with like uh, eyes. Eyes. Me neither. I'm so bad. bad. I just have my lashes and Same. Like, I can't do anything. Same. Else. That's why I just use the lashes and that's it. Yeah. Like that's all I use. And then like literally cocoa butter mm -hmm. and I invest in like a good perfume mm -hmm. and I invest in like um, I have like the Korean scrub, like the yeah. hand. It's like a hand glove that you yeah. wear that's exfoliating. Mm -hmm. Use that. Use a good body oil. Yeah. Um, Lena exclusive perfume and that's really it yeah. I also have the um, thing in your shower the callus remover yes. like the scraper you on your feet fade, and then oh. I shave you know I literally go from head to toe and I'm like okay hair oiled it okay mm -hmm. Botox perfume it and I literally yes. like make sure I get hit everything I day. love that when yeah. did you start like investing in your appearance um I would say from mm. a relatively young age I think like having what's again Caribbean parents like my mom was always doing like face mask like oh, she's putting love. yogurt on her face or she was doing this and she was doing that so from a young age like that was sort of part of like my cultural experience and I think that's very normalized in a lot of like Caribbean or West African really? cultures where you know you're using these like like certain things in your hair and like mm -hmm. all of that um so I would say like that was very culturally ingrained in me from a very young age mm -hmm. and then also I just enjoy that I think I think for some people it may sound odd it may sound vain it may sound performative I genuinely enjoy the feeling of like investing in myself like yes. taking care of my nails taking care of my lap like that feels so great for me and that, that's something that's important to me and maybe it's an homage to like how I grew up and feeling like taken care of when my mom would do my hair things like that but that feels great for me it doesn't feel superficial it doesn't feel yeah. vain it just feels like oh now I can walk out into the world knowing that I just spent 20 minutes like applying body lotion and doing a lymphatic drainage yes. massage on my face like that feels good yeah to me. it feels grown and as long as it does that's what matters yeah, exactly. okay I could talk to you for hours <laughs> I have so many things please um, so many things so I have two I'll do three more questions yeah the last one that's like gonna I think for a lot of people is what are your biggest tips for young women who are trying to build their own personal brands yes. or to build their own personal confidence. Yes. Okay, so I'll do confidence and brand because I okay. think they're two different ones. So for brand, 
I heard a really beautiful, not beautiful, profound statement the other day, which was Nike is a brand, Reebok is a shoe company. And mm. that was like, oh, I get it. Like, mm. understood. So how I think about building a personal brand is one, think about who resonates with you. Like, who are sort of like feel like expanders to you. So for a lot of girls, it's the Jasmine Tooks, it's the Sophia Richies yeah. these days. Maybe it's like a Mal Clooney, Hillary Clinton, whatever. So, uh, what is her name? Sabrina Elba for yeah. me oh, lately and has icon. been giving. Yes. Savannah, mm-hmm. giving. I don't know. The LA girls are like really eating know, us up. They're, they're yeah, eating they're up. eating us up these yeah. days. I think it's because they all have a, P- a PR agency yes, telling yes, them what to do. Yes. Because this... They transform. Oh, it's it. so good. I So yeah. anyways, whatever feels good to you, understand why do you resonate with these women? What's what's interesting? Who are your expanders? What feels good for you? And then begin to like kind of write down like, okay, I really like Sabrina Elba because she's a businesswoman. And I really like so-and-so because she's a wife. And I really like so-and-so because she's committed to wellness. And sort of think about your brand ethos from that perspective. Like when people describe me, how do I want them to see me? How do I want... How do I want them to interact with me? From there, begin to take inspired action. So if you want to, you know, be known as a wellness guru or a lady who leisures or whatever, or a corporate bat, whatever is important to you, begin to take inspired action from there. And then begin to cultivate your entire life experience in a way that feels authentic to you, to doing things that align with whatever you're trying to do. So once again, if you're trying to codify yourself as like a corporate baddie maybe you're always spending your free time on panels mm. or you're going to culture con and tech conferences etc because that is sort of the the ethos that you want to admit yeah you want to essentially create a brand profile from a social standpoint from a um how you spend your free time who your friends are you want to essentially cultivate it all to sort of resonate with the same brand ethos yeah and then with like the Nike and Reebok example, where Nike is a brand and Reebok is a shoe company, then it kind of comes about marketing yourself. Like, what is your social media presence? How, how if people were to invite you to an event tomorrow, what sort of event would they say? Okay, I know Alexis or I know Jody would want to go to this kind of event because you've cultivated an external brand from once again your friends, from your social media footprint, from the jobs that you take, how you spend your free time. You have cultivated a brand that now speaks for yourself. And that will sort of precede you in any room that you go into, the sort of invitations that you get, the jobs that you take, that will sort of precede you. And that kind of like is like a self-running machine at that point. So I would say yeah. figure out who's expansive, take inspired action from there, begin to spend all of your free time and uh, your network to sort of be reflective of that ethos and then market yourself appropriately. Is sort I am of how obsessed it. with that. Thank you <laughs> for welcome. giving us a good framework, of honestly, because we, des- we need of course, that. So. Of course. Oh, amazing. And it's this has just been such a great conversation. Oh, so I'm good. so excited. So my final question that I like to ask everyone who comes on the oh, show. Oh, and then also oh. the confidence one. Well, Sorry. Yeah, we didn't. Sorry. Because okay, I was like, it. I really also want to talk yes. about confidence um, because I've been thinking a lot about it. I would say having, I, so in the pandemic, I was able to sort of spend a lot of time reflecting. I was by myself. I was single. I was living in a tiny ass apartment in New York City. And I really had the the capacity to like really think about who do I want to be by the time I turn 30, which is like when the pandemic is ending, etc. And ultimately, I think I was like, I'm going to utilize this time to become the best iteration and version of myself. That is from a investing from a wellness perspective, from a health perspective, from a style perspective, from a uh, wealth perspective, from an interpersonal, how can I be the best friend, the best daughter, the best. And so I began to sort of create proof points for myself in, okay, I wanted to become this kind of person. Let me start taking small inspired actions that will become proof for me that I am becoming this person. There's a concept called a self-schema, which is basically how you process information. So how I think people view me and how I assume, how I, how I process information. So like, let's say you spill a drink on me. Mm-hmm. My self-schema is, oh, I, Alexis spilled that drink because she didn't mean to. Like, she yeah. was just being. Some people have a self-schema where it's like, aha, I knew she was out to get me. Right. So having a self-schema, which is almost like an internal running model of how you process information, I was able to sort of create proof points that would then validate a new self schema for myself. And so essentially by the end of the pandemic, I had done so much like internal work 
and kind of had transformed myself schema because I had all of these proof points of I'm someone who wakes up early and works out. Yeah. I'm someone who's a good friend. I'm someone who is intellectually curious because I've read X amount of books in the pandemic. I'm someone who's gotten a new job and who has gotten promoted. That means I'm intelligent and smart. So being able to create validating proof points, that sort of builds a new perception of how you view yourself and how other people then view you that I think can really sort of transform your self-confidence and self-identity. So I think taking on a new self-identity and creating proof points and moving from inspired action of that new self-identity is sort of how I build internal trust and then ultimately build internal confidence. And I've never heard it said like that before. I feel like I hear the annoying thing every day that's like, be disciplined and that'll build your self-trust and then you'll be confident. But in reality, when you're saying create these proof points, it's not, it doesn't sound as intense or difficult as like I have to wake up at 5 a.m. every day or I'm worthless. Right. And so I think that's a really helpful way to put it. And I'm going to definitely apply that to my life. So thank you. Of course. I love it. Okay. So within this vein of confidence and inspiration, I like to ask all of my guests to finish this sentence with something that you want young people or your young women to know. You are too smart for. You are too smart for. Optimizing your life for, for other people's opinions, experiences, expectations outside of yourself. Like, move through the world very lovingly and move through the world from an authentic code. And, like, that is how you should be moving through life. 100%. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone find you? Like, I'm on TikTok, Jody KT, J O D I E K T A Y. I'm also on Instagram, JKT823, which is my Northwestern student ID. No way. Yes. Oh my exactly. God. Oh my God. And you're taking me back. (laughs) Oh my God, that's crazy. (laughs) I love to see it. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so grateful. I think people are going to love this concept. Thank you for having me. Of course. Oh my God. Mm